Hey, this is Jared Sheehan from Capital One. Uh, if you want to build a world-class communication skill set, you should be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with my really good friend, Mr. Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I'm speaking with Jared Sheehan. Jared is the Director of Software Engineering for Capital One. He leads over 100 software engineers in developing the droid and cloud versions of the award-winning Capital One mobile banking app. Jared also sits on the board of a number of different startups in the D.C. area and is a co-founder and organizer of the D.C. Android Meetup and the Google Developer Groups in D.C. He's also done a number of speaking engagements around the country. And we get into his unique and, and powerful approach to recruiting software engineers, which are very competitive to find, especially in the D.C. area. Um, the importance of building a strong network. He obviously has started and leads a number of big networking groups in the D.C. area. Um, and I'll talk about how he's done that and um, how folks can get the most out of networking groups and engagements. And then we'll also talk about his approach to leadership and feedback that has helped him to be so successful. Overall, Jared gives some great advice for anyone who is leading in the tech space today on, on how to recruit and motivate and get the most out of technical professionals. So, Jared, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Really excited to have you on. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me. For sure, man. For sure. Thanks. So, I'd love to just start off by hearing a little bit about what your team does at Capital One because you guys are doing some really cool things. Sure. So, specifically, I've been in the mobile space for about 10 years. So, that's you know quite a long time as far as mobile's been around. If you compare other technologies like Java, it's been around for 30, 35 years. So, it's really pretty new even though it seems ubiquitous now, and it pretty much is. Specifically, what I do at Capital One is I lead about 20 engineering teams that support the Capital One flagship mobile app. So that's the iOS and Android versions of our flagship product, and it's where our customers come in and service their accounts. So for example, if you have a, a bank account, you'll come in and you know either transfer money around or make sure you got paid on payday. That's usually pretty, that's, that's a good one. We have a credit card services as well. That's actually what my team support, which is the credit card line of business. It's you know one of our business segments. And so I'm accountable for the engineering delivery for most of the, uh, the credit card line of business features and services that are within the flagship app for Capital One. Got it. Now, 20 teams of engineers is quite a lot of folks, right? I think you have about 100 folks in your org? Yep. Give or take, something like that. Yeah. So it's a lot of folks. And I also know that you've been expanding pretty dramatically over the last year or two. So I'd love to hear just kind of how your leadership style, how your communication style has been changing as your team has been growing so dramatically. Sure. So I've been at Capital One for about four and a half years, just to give it some kind of scope. And when I arrived, there were probably five teams that supported cards specifically. Mm -hmm. And we are all within one kind of organization. That's our what we call our enterprise group, right? And so as with any application or any property. It could be a website, it could be a chatbot, it could be an app. You start building a thing. And then as it gets more and more popular and more and more users adopt it, you 
put more and more resources towards it. You get more and more features and then you have to build out the platforms. And so specifically our journey over the last four and a half to five years has been that our uh, adoption on the mobile front has really got, taken off and skyrocketed. And so we've reinvested more resourcing into building that up so our users can easily come in, open their app, do their servicing and move on. Good um, problem to have, to, right? To sit down, you know, at a laptop. So how my leadership style has changed. There's actually kind of a lot of layers to that, but specifically when you come in, and I guess my first accountability at about two and a half to three teams, I pretty much have enough scope or kind of brain power to be able to look at each of the things that those teams are working on, dive in really deep, do system designs with them, coordinate with our stakeholders, maybe API teams, and ensure that we are really, really, really buttoned up from ensuring that we can plan it, process it, and get it out the door with a high level of quality. So I am more in the weeds, let me put it that way. Okay. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that I was coding a lot at this particular job. I coded at almost pretty much all of my other jobs. But my teams were really thoughtful and uh, really, really good engineers. And so I was able to help remove impediments for those teams specifically. As that grows and you take on more and more accountability, uh, to your point, your question specifically was, how does my leadership style change? And it's really important to ensure that there is consistent communication, consistent forums, multiple different directions. So what I mean by that is you have to have regular meetings to ensure that communication is flowing up and down the chain. So I'll have a leadership team meeting, which is kind of my directs. Then we'll have, you know, kind of a tech leads meeting, which is really my directs of directs. And then there will also be boots on the ground developers who are writing most of the code. And we have to ensure that all of the communication goes the correct direction. So if there's a problem, it needs to come up. And I, you know, part of my job is to remove those impediments. And so making sure that you have those processes and forums is very, very important. And uh, make sure that we define what our goals are. Make sure that our teammates are able to focus. You have to be very, very clear on what those goals are to enable your boots on the ground workforce to be able to make decisions without necessarily needing to get approval all the time. So that that's where the communication comes in that it's vitally important. So you set the vision mm -hmm. and then it ought to be really, really easy for anyone to look at that and say, this is where we need to be going. Because the hardest thing in a large scale organization is getting everyone to like marks in the same direction. And that's literally what you want to do. So does that sure. make sense? Uh, it makes a ton of sense. And I think especially entrepreneurs and, and folks who start out, say, with a small team and expand quickly really struggle with that, right? Because they're used to leading in the weeds and doing a lot of tactical stuff. And when their teams expand, it, they want to keep leading that way. And it's really hard to kind of shift the way you think and the way that you operate and the way that you have to kind of be able to communicate that vision to the broader team and set up that infrastructure, if you will, to, to drive that vision throughout the organization. Yep. You seem to have adapted to that pretty, pretty easily and effectively. Was that an easy transition for you? Uh, it was actually pretty hard. I actually had feedback from one of my tech leads that uh, has been here the whole time. And I was actually at a startup before Capital One, and mm -hmm. I probably wrote 60% of one of our SDKs. Um, and so transitioning into that role was, was very different. And, you know, back to my tech lead, she's an interesting person. Uh, but she basically said, Jared, I didn't think you would be here very long because you were like a bull in a china shop, just coming in, running around, <laughs> trying to do everything. But yeah, I had to adapt very quickly. And that's, that's basically what she said. I have to change my entire 
kind of my process. Um, I would say that the best way to do that is to sit and listen. Mm -hmm. I had a really, really good manager, Michael Jones. I'll give him a shout out. One of his superpowers was giving direct in the moment feedback. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he always did it with love. And I always did my best to try to sit there and listen. And, you know, especially when you're coming into a new organization, uh, there are always different cultural mores around how to interact with others. And so if I stepped on some toes, even inadvertently, he was really good at saying, hey, look, you know, this is what, this is what went well. This is what not, didn't go well. Let's try to work this out. And I think that really helped shape my ability to see where I was and not necessarily um, rub people the wrong way. You know, you can have a lot of energy, but you need to make sure that your energy is focused and that whenever you come out of a meeting, for example, everyone feels like they got something out of it. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to the power of mentorship and leadership and coaching and all those things as well. I think the challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs is they might not have, uh, you know, obviously a leader ahead of them, right? They are the leader. So it's hard for them to kind of get that kind of mentorship along the way. I mean, mm -hmm. hopefully they've built up a network of mentors that, that they can turn to, or maybe their board or other folks in similar roles that might be friends. But it's certainly a challenge, I think, to be able to get out of your own head and see that you need to change and then drive mm -hmm. that change. So that's great that you've been able to do that so effectively. So another thing that I know you've been doing a lot of lately is recruiting, right? As your teams have been expanding, you've had to hire a whole bunch of people. Yep. <laughs> and I also know it's a lot of struggle for other business leaders and entrepreneurs to understand and assess how folks are going to fit from a personality and cultural perspective. I mean, yep. the skills are one thing, but the other thing is how well are they going to fit? So how do you go about assessing that as you're interviewing folks and, and adding folks to the team? Sure. Um, there's actually quite a few different aspects to that. There's the actual sourcing of people and how do you get them in? That's actually a fascinating conversation. The other that you're describing is, you know, interviews. Right. I specifically am a software in software engineering, I guess, uh, job family. And so my core thoughts on what a software engineer does, a developer does, is we solve problems. Okay. That's literally what we do. It almost doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what language you're using. It doesn't matter what platform you're using. How do you solve it? So we focus very much on something that we call ambiguous coding problems. And so ambiguous coding problems basically are, here's a linked list, sort it for me. I don't care what language you use, sort it for me and tell me what the runtime is, tell me what the complexity is. And there's a million different ways to do it. Um, so if you're looking for a software engineering job, I highly recommend that you go focus on system design and ambiguous coding problems because that's literally what we do. Software engineering specifically, there's a lot of websites, Leak Code, Hacker Rank, go and play on those. I'll be honest, I do that all the time whenever I'm looking for a new position. Um, there's a lot of posts about how to do that. I highly recommend that. That's really only part of it. The things that I look for to your specific question are very similar to what Warren Buffett talks about. He talks about brains, he talks about energy, and he talks about integrity. And specifically, if you, if you hire someone that has the first two and they don't have the last one, the first two are going to kill you. I've seen that a lot. The other thing that I look for is interest. There's, so it's like a, a, you know, a second I. So B-E-I and then the I for integrity and then I for interest. If you're interested in what you're doing, for example, mobile, Android or iOS or cloud or whatever it is, people will figure it out. If you have the interest, that kind of begets energy. So that's really what I look for. The other thing I look for is what do you do in your spare time? Right. You go to work, do you punch in, you punch out, you go home and you really don't care about what you do. You don't care about your craftsmanship. And so I poke pretty hard about that to try to figure out what they're interested in. And it doesn't have to be your spare time doesn't necessarily have to be like 
when I leave work, you have to go home and, you know, continue coding for some reason. That's not what I'm really looking for. What I'm looking for is, are you watching videos on how to become a really awesome iOS developer? Do you know people in the community, right? Like, mm-hmm. do you know people at Google? Do you know people at Apple? Or at least by name, like you don't have to like, you know, have them on speed dial, for example. Who are the Google developer experts that you really admire? Um, those are the types of folks that have the interest and have the energy to improve. Uh, you want to constantly improve. You want to constantly change who you are. One of the most powerful things you could do is be able to pivot and move into different directions. And one of the things you mentioned about the, you know, kind of my journey at Capital One is I came in being used to doing a thing and I had to move over and kind of change my whole process to be able to support the needs of the business. I'm not the only one who does that. There's a lot of people who do that. And, you know, that's another thing that I look for. Yeah, for sure. So kind of authentic interest is really big for you, right? Seeing that they're genuinely interested and passionate about the topic and that that kind of comes through in their day-to-day lives beyond just what they're telling you in the interview. You also mentioned integrity. How do you assess that early in the process? And in my experience, it's really hard to assess it from just meeting somebody interviewing them, right? It's something you understand over time, but you still have to try to assess it early on. Yeah, interviews are an interesting thing. Like I literally have 45 minutes to an hour to figure out whether you're a good fit. Does that make any sense at all? The answer is probably not really. (laughs) Um, You know, it kind of is how we do things though, Um, especially with the sheer mass of people that we have to, you know, get through the door. Mm-hmm. The, the way I assess it is uh, part of my questioning has to do with tell me about something that you're really proud of. I don't care what it is, right? It could be a home life thing. It could be a work thing. I don't care. Usually it's a work thing. And then I ask targeted questions to try to try to tease that out a little bit more. And you'll actually learn a lot on how people operate. You will hear a phraseology like I did, I did, I solved the thing, you know, I saved the day, that kind of thing versus we did this, we did this, um, I contributed to helping this. And here's specifically what I did. I, I, you know, this is an interview about the person. I didn't want to know what they did, but a lot of it has to do with how they feel about the team. That's kind of trigger words for me. Um, integrity is hard one, you're right. Really what I mean, and maybe defining what I mean by integrity is, is kind of the next step. Integrity for me is, I want to make sure that you're not in it for yourself. This is not a zero sum game. When the team wins, we all win. When other teams win that support your team, they win too. Mm-hmm. You know, the last thing you want is someone who's you know, going to step all over other people and shove them down to get ahead. And that's, I think, part of what Warren meant when he said, you know, if, if you have brains and energy but no integrity, the first two are going to kill you. Uh, I've seen that a couple of times, and it's not fun. So that's kind of where I'm going is uh, do you do things and do you do them for the right reasons? Do you care with your whole heart, right? Yeah. And do you care for your people and do you care about the product and the, and the mission that you're, you're focused on? Yeah. And, and for sure, brains and energy with that integrity is dangerous combination because they can um, accomplish a lot, but it might not be good stuff that they're accomplishing. So you always got to be careful and look out for that, no doubt. So that's definitely interesting. I love your thinking around listening to phraseology and, and are they all about themselves or are they all about kind of the group and the team? So that, that's really cool. So thanks for sharing that. So shifting topics a little bit, you, you mentioned before the importance of knowing other folks in the industry. I know that you do a lot of work around networking within the developer universe in the DC area. Mm-hmm. Um, you lead, lead up a number of groups. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're doing in that space and kind of why you find it so important to your own development. Sure. So what I do specifically is um, I lead six or seven different meetup groups in the DC area. They're mostly mobile focused. DC Android group, a DC Flutter group, a Kotlin group, a DC iOS group, 
a cloud group um, and a couple of others. Um, they all kind of tie together with a single purpose of uh, connecting with our community and sharing learnings. You know, I talked about a zero sum game before, and that is the idea behind that is there can only really be one winner. And a community growth means that if everyone wins, the community gets lifted up and we all get better. And community could be, you know, the DC area, it could be the East Coast, it could be worldwide. So my goal really is to learn as much as I possibly can about subjects and keep that curiosity alive, at least for me myself, and then share that out with the rest of the groups that I'm a part of. I have a fabulous team who, uh, who helps me do all of this. In fact, they do most of the day-to-day work. Um, we are working on a website also devcommunity.org where we're, you know, we're going to go, we're going to try to expand from the DC area actually and just be kind of multinational. We're going to live stream on YouTube and stuff like that at some point. But the idea with community back to why it's important to me is, you know, when I was growing in my career, I learned a lot from watching YouTube videos about, um, I was an Android developer. And so I would go and try to figure out which Android developers I thought were good at what they did as far as, and, and who were good teachers. And there's a lot of them that I really admired. And so I would go to as many events as I could. And I would not only connect with some of the ones in my local area, but I would go to conferences like Google I.O. or uh, DroidCon. And actually, um, I, I lead a couple of conferences now too, DevFest DC and Android Summit. And I get so much out of those and I get to meet so many interesting people there's so many different avenues that can, that can uh, come out of just those conversations. It's really breathtaking. And so for me anyway, building those connections and getting to meet really interesting people, I've learned so much about my industry just from going through that. And there's, there's so much give back. There's so much love and affection that goes into community that it's part, part of it is really uplifting. That's another part of it. Part of the way that I was able to really grow in my career was directly through community. And a big part of this is me giving back to my community. And so I put energy into it so I can help grow my local community, maybe a larger community. But part of it was, I, you know, I wasn't very good software developer for a while and I got better at it through learning through this avenue and this venue. And so, you know, part of this is me giving back. Yeah, no, that's tremendous. And I assume it's also a really important tool when you think about recruiting. Again, we go back to that, right? You probably find a lot of talent and a lot of talent that you trust and feel good about coming from that community and even other leaders in similar roles as yourself that you can kind of talk with around similar challenges. There's just a ton of value out of that community. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is uh, recruiting and community kind of go together. I've actually, I've always thought that the people you want to hire, the top talent, the hard part is actually uprooting them, right? Mm. The people that are always available who are always looking for that next job are rarely the ones that you want to hire. Generally, they're not very interested in, you know, we talked about energy and interest in the job. They're not very interested in the job, which kind of begets they're not as good at it. And that's just kind of an inherent thing. That's not always the case, but sometimes, but a large amount of time it is. The people that we look for are usually really good at what they want, what they do. Their leadership and management let them kind of do what they want, right? And they're usually compensated pretty well. So how do you get ahead of that? And they're almost never looking for a job. And those people that when they are looking for a job, they pretty much already picked out what they want and they're not almost never available. So how do you uproot that top talent? Mm -hmm. Well, the way you do that is you build relationships, right? If I get to know Greg Rice over here, who's like the best podcaster I've ever met. Truth. Let's say I want to work with them someday. How do I work that out? Should I have a recruiter send him a in-mail message within LinkedIn? 
along with the other 100 he gets per day? Probably not. That's probably not the best way to do it. But if I can build a relationship with Greg and at some point in the future, he decides that he trusts me and he might be looking, he might reach out and say, hey, Jared, I'm actually looking, you know, do you, do you have something we could talk about? Or I might, you know, get some information about him and be like, hey, you know, I'm really interested in cloud migration. Well, that's very interesting, but because Capital One just did, a, did one of the largest cloud digital transformations in the history of fintechs. Like we're literally the only fully native cloud fintech, large one anyway, in the U.S. Okay, cool. And so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, there's some synergy there and good things tend to happen. It's less of recruiting to me is less of, hey, I'm going knocking your door. Hey, come work with me. It's more of, I'm a trusted person in the community. You're a trusted person in the community. Let's talk. Let's hang out. And if either one of us are interested in working together, we can work that out. Yeah, it's much more of a relationship-oriented long-term game with your approach. And uh, you probably get a lot more valuable candidates out of that, I'm sure. Even though it takes longer, it's worth it, (laughs) for sure. Absolutely. But first, have you guys ever struggled to gain traction driving paid traffic while it seems like your competitors are just having a lot more success? If so, then you're going to love what I put together for you. I mean, how about a free analysis of you versus your top three competitors to gain clarity around what is really working and what isn't and where the opportunities are? Does that sound good? Well, I've partnered with some of the best in the paid traffic business to create inflection marketing. I only partner with the best. No one has more experience. These guys have been doing it since 2001, and they've been helping companies win paid traffic across all channels, including Google, Microsoft, and Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Amazon. And here's the best part. For anyone who sets up a consultation appointment, we'll provide you with a free competitive analysis comparing your pay-per-click advertising versus your competitors, looking at things like messaging, keywords, volume, and cost per click. And there's no obligation for this. It'll give you the foundation that you need to succeed, whether you decide to work with us or not. So to learn more about how we can help you take your digital marketing game to the next level and drive a true inflection in your paid traffic, as well as get your complimentary competitive analysis, go to gregjrice.com backslash inflection. That's gregjrice.com dot com backslash inflection to schedule a quick discussion to see if there may be a fit here or not. So with that, let's dive into our interview. Now, I, folks who are considering, you know, joining networking groups and going to networking events, a lot of times there's a lot of angst and nervousness around that. And even if they do go, they might not have the courage or really know how to start up conversations and, and become a part of that community. Any guidance for those folks on how they can really dive in and, and start to connect with folks? Sure. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I feel like it's the same way to make friends. Show up. That's it. Like, you don't have to do anything the first time, right? If there's angst, just show up. Show up to the next one. Show up to the next one. You physically show up, you're going to get comfortable with the people that are there. That's just the reality. You're going to get comfortable, even if they're different people. You're going to get comfortable with yourself. Conversations are organically going to happen. You're going to get more and more engaged, and you're going to get comfortable. That's just human nature. So it's, it's about be dogged, go, show up. You know, it's the same thing. Like I said, if you want to build friends, go find a place, go find a golf club or a golf course. And, you know, I don't, I don't think you have to like, you know, join a membership or uh, pay for a membership, but just show up. If you move to a new area, what do you do? You go show up somewhere where there's more people, more humans, and eventually you're going to meet some people that you can synergize with. It's the same thing with networking events, the same thing with meetups. Uh, Meetups generally have a theme, find something that you're interested in. So, 
if you have a cool car or you like fast cars or you like Corvettes or, you know, you like running or you like biking or you like doing, you know, any of the things that you're interested in, like there are groups that you can go and hang out with a crowd and you will get to meet some new people. It might be scary, might be hard. You know, the definition of courage really is, is like doing something that you're not comfortable with. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you're actually going to be. For sure. I'm sure when you got into this networking game, you were not as comfortable as you are today, right? You had to overcome some nerves and, and have some courage in those situations. Absolutely. I, there was a, uh, I used to work at this teeny tiny startup called Amazon. You've probably heard of them. Um, <laughs> but I had a, uh, I had a, a mentor there, which I don't know how my manager convinced this person to, to mentor me. He was, I think what they called a senior principal. And there's literally like a hundred of them at the whole company. And he had 30 years of extensive knowledge. Like there was zero reason for him to talk to a little, you know, nothing like me, but uh, he was a fire hose of information. And one of the things that he told me about public speaking was that he wasn't very good at it either. And there's a lot of things he had to do to overcome it. And one of the really interesting things that he did, which I still do today is whenever he gave a presentation, a lot of times he said he was kind of living out of, you know, uh, uh, hotel rooms because he traveled all over the world talking about the things that they were doing from a back in cloud perspective, especially in the early days of AWS and teaching the rest of the company how to do this, that, or the other. And a lot of us engineers are not normally good at this whole communication thing. And, you know, he said, <laughs> it's like terrifying to get up on stage. And I'm like, you're like the head dude in charge of all this stuff. Like, how can you be afraid of it? And he says that still to this day, what he does is he has slides and in his hotel room, either the night before or the day before, he spends hours just looking in the mirror, going through his slides and practicing, looking at himself until he knows the slides forwards and back. And that makes him comfortable. And so I wouldn't say I'd do it as much as he did. He said he usually did it, went through his slides at least 10 times before presentation. But I've definitely gone into, I've reserved conference rooms, set up my laptop and spent an hour going through my slides over and over again. Uh, it becomes more and more natural and, you, you, and easy basically to give. And it's very similar to what we talked about, about, you know, go to a networking event, just try it, just show up. People are not going to judge you, especially if you're there for, you know, the same reasons they are. If you're going to a Python meetup, you want to learn about Python, guess what? So does everyone else. You have something in common, mm -hmm. right? And I know it's hard. I know that we all get the sweaty palms. Look yourself in the mirror, practice giving your presentation. It'll be okay. Yeah, from a public speaking perspective, I completely agree. I uh, when I kind of started my career, I used to be pretty terrified of public speaking, and eventually, I took a job that had me giving two-hour presentations on a pretty regular basis. And eventually, through practice, and I did a ton of what you said—you know, practicing in front of the mirror, practicing alone in a room, getting a conference room, flipping through the slides, just getting really comfortable with it—that was the best way I learned to become a good speaker. Not that I was memorizing a script, but just getting comfortable talking about specific things at specific places. And, and that went a long way. Yeah, so I think that that's great advice. And from a networking perspective, like you said, it's all about practice and getting out there and getting to know folks and getting out of your own head, I think, because we all worry, hey, everybody's judging us. Nobody's judging you, right? You Got to get out of that negative headspace. Everybody is there wanting to meet folks and they'd be happy to meet you. And you bring a ton of value, you know, so know that and, and just go have a good time. And don't, if yeah. people act mean to you, just let it go, right? Move on to the next person. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I've said this a lot. Uh, the secret to professional success is being prepared, maybe even personal success. And part of that being prepared is putting the time and effort into practicing. 
if there's a topic in a meeting that you don't know a lot about, but you really feel like you need to influence and, you know, kind of figure out how to get the team to go your way, show up at the meeting after having spent, you know, some amount of time figuring out the ins and outs of it, show up, uh, know the pros and cons, have an opinion, uh, because you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people who just show up to meetings and don't prep. It's kind of crazy to me. You know, if there's a topic and here's the other thing, let's pretend you're, you know, you're like, you're all the way on one side of a topic and you're like, I think it's this. And then you go do your prep and you realize it's actually something else. And maybe some of the other people in the room or more senior already knew that was the answer. Well, guess what? You look, I mean, you at least don't make a fool of yourself by trying to convince <laughs> everyone to go the other way. Right. On the other hand, you know, if going the other way is the right way to do it, you can pull up your references to say, Hey, look, I checked this and this and this industry thinks it's this. Like, and here's, here's my reasoning on why I think it is too. And so I know it'll be kind of hard to get there because of this other stuff we do, but it feels like outcomes. The outcome we want is this, right? Cool. Maybe we should go that way. Yeah, absolutely. So last topic to get into before I just ask you a few questions who I try to ask everybody on the show. I'd love to hear a little bit about the entrepreneurship work that you're doing. I know you sit on a number of leadership advisory boards for different startups in your area. Just tell me a little bit about, as far as you can anyway, around what you're doing in that space and then the unique challenges of communicating with headstrong entrepreneurs, right? And helping them see that maybe they need to have a different take on the vision that they're trying to execute because you know from experience that that's maybe not the path they should go in. Sure. So I, I think one of the things to, to realize about the, the, the specific positions that I've had is, you know, I mentioned that I've been in the mobile space for about 10 years and mobile's about 10 years old. So I've literally been in the space almost since the beginning. And so I really do have a lot of innate um, experience with a platform that's only been around for 10 years. And so part of the value that I bring is certainly networking, right? But a big piece of it is, uh, you know, kind of a mobile background and understanding how that ecosystem works. So when, when I come in, there's at least an innate understanding that the CEOs or, or the, the venture capitalist firm that, uh, that's funding that group thinks that I know what I'm doing. Little do they know I don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, so when it comes to mobile anyway, when I talk towards like suggestions on what to do with mobile, I've, I've probably done the thing they're trying to do or some variation of it. And so really what my value is, is to come in and make recommendations and suggestions on what's a good architecture, what's a good system design, what you sh- should you suggest, what should you work on? Should this be native? Should it be cross-platform? What are the pros and cons? And it's less about the things that the founders and CEOs are generally passionate about, which is usually like, what's the brand vision? What's the business? What's the, you know, it's less about necessarily the technology stack, but it's how do you get the thing in front of their customers? So at least entrepreneurs for the most part, I haven't, at least for the, the companies that I've worked with directly, I wouldn't say I've had a lot of disagreements. There have been some conversations and maybe, you know, we don't align on like what technology stacks to use, but it almost doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Technology stacks come and go. Is it AWS today? Is it, you know, Azure tomorrow? Is it iOS and Android today? Is it something else in the future? I don't know, right? But um, so that's, that's generally how that works. Now, where I've seen a lot of other disagreements are I've, uh, there's a, uh, I've gone to, Startup events, uh, DC Startup Week, by the way, is a week-long event that we have here in DC every year. And I usually sit on, um, there's a final pitch event at the end of it where some aspiring startups get up and talk about their ideas. Those are a lot more spirited because, you know, what they're actually pitching is, here's the thing that I'm passionate about and I want to 
I want to drive it and build it and eventually get make money on it, right? And um, you should see all of the conversations around cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, you know, <laughs> is this the, uh, should we build this thing for that? And um, kind of my thought along those lines is like, you know, you know, is this the right time? Is it the wrong time? Does that thing make sense? Is there another thing out there? So there's a lot of spirited conversations around business ideas, but it's usually pre like funding, for example, or free pre, uh, um, actually formation of a company per se. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So as you're hearing those pitches, any guidance for aspiring entrepreneurs out there who have pitches coming up and how they can do that most effectively? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say, uh, number one, if you're going to, if, if you're going to join a startup or you're going to try to found a startup, I would recommend a book by a guy named Eric Reese. It's called the lean startup. It's only about 110 pages, 120 pages. It's not super long, or at least the last one was, I don't know if they revised it, but the main theme of that book is you don't want to put a bunch of energy into building a thing and then finding out nobody wants it. Okay. So figuring out from your community if it's something the community would pay for or buy or wants or use, we'd prefer them to pay for it <laughs> is, is really like table stakes. And if you come to a pitch competition where you can say, Hey, look, I sent out five surveys. I hit a thousand people on each of the surveys and 84% of the respondents said, yes, they pay some amount of money for a service like this. That's pretty powerful. Um, especially if you're pitching to VCs or, other entrepreneurs who can get you connected in the community. You know, a strong startup community supports everyone. And it takes it takes a whole group of people to make things happen. There needs to not be like one group of uh, kind of old men or women that are like kind of driving the community that have been there for a long time. It's about the people who are actually in the startups, the ones who are driving it. Those are the ones who are making a difference. And those are the ones that you need to get buy-in from and the rest will work out well. But definitely figuring out like whether what you're trying to do is something that people would buy and figuring that out very early. And oh, by the way, what you're pitching may not be something that they would buy, but if you pivot a little bit and you get some feedback where it's like, hey, well, actually, if you did this Mm -hmm. and this and this, maybe I would pay for it. That's a big part of the book is always like deliver a little bit of value and then figure out whether your customers actually want it and then figure out the next thing you're going to do. 100%. 100%. Yeah, in my experience, that's almost 100% of the time. Very rarely do you guess right first. But if you're willing to pivot and adjust, you can eventually find something as long as you don't give up, right? Find something of value and then focus around that. That aligns with your strengths. So great feedback, great feedback. So just a couple questions I'd like to ask everybody who comes on the show. The first one, I really believe in the power of conversations. Mm-hmm. So I like to ask the folks on the show if there's one conversation they could point to in their lives that had a meaningful impact on the direction that you took. Yeah, there've been so many. I would say that most of them are really feedback on what I could do better, um, but they were really in the moment feedbacks. And I would always say that, like, getting feedback that's not necessarily flattering is vital to your ability to do good. Okay, mm-hmm. and so embrace it. Don't get mad. It's going to be hard. Trust me. I hate getting bad feedback. It's not fun, but it is vital to figuring out how to succeed in an environment. I don't have a drone that follows me around with a camera. So I don't see myself in the third person. Like I, I think everything I do is perfect. Trust me. My wife says that all the time, Um, but it's not true, right? It's absolutely not true. So getting honest feedback and soliciting it and figuring out a way to get honest feedback from your 
partners, peers, and stakeholders, and your team is super vital. Figure out how to do it. I don't care if you have to do like an anonymous survey to work it out. So that's, that's one piece of advice. Um, and it's, and the other thing is, is embrace the heck out of whatever they say, right? Don't be like, that's wrong. I didn't, you know, that's not what actually happened. I've definitely been in that situation actually yesterday where I feel like that's not actually what I intended. It doesn't matter. It's how you were perceived. Mm-hmm. So take the feedback, figure out what you need to do with it and pivot. One of the best end of year, actually I got promoted. Uh, one of the best end of year write-ups I ever got a big part, a whole paragraph was from my manager saying one of the best things about Jared is that he takes feedback, doesn't argue and figures out who, how to adjust the behavior. And I really, that was like the most special part of like the whole feedback. I, it was amazing. So that's one. Back to your original question. What are some actual things that I've gotten that have really helped me? Um, well, there's, there's two I can think of. I had a manager. Um, I was an Android, when I was a fledgling Android developer at the first company I was working at where I was writing Android code. And I had an iPhone. And um, I'd had an iPhone for about, you know, two or three years. And my manager, you know, kind of sat me down. He's like, Jared, do you want to get good at Android? I'm like, yeah. So, all right, do you have an iPhone? I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I want to be able to, you know, see how the thing looks on iOS and how it looks on Android. He's like, I get it. Do you want to get good at Android? I'm like, well, yes. He's like, you need to fully immerse yourself in the technology and that'll make you an expert on Android. And he was right. So I switched over. My daily driver was an Android device. The point is, is that if you're trying to learn a thing, dog food the heck out of it, immerse yourself into it, understand it. Yeah. Okay? So that's one. And Andrew is just an example. Whatever it is, it could be anything. The second piece, which I thought was great, um, I had a manager once who I talk about, you know, learn a lot from the community, watch YouTube videos, you know, podcasts, you know, whatever it is. I was talking to my manager once about how, I think it was, you know, Steve Jobs really has a good executive presence on stage at WWDC, right? That's their big conference every year. And I thought that, you know, he did a lot of really amazing things. And like, I'd start reading his book and whatever. And my manager said, look, said, you can, there's, there's a lot of leaders who have done really good things. There's a lot of leaders who do a lot of things that are highly effective. You need to be you. Okay. Look at Steve Jobs, look at Jeff Bezos, look at Bill Gates, look at, you know, whoever the flavor of the year is, but you need to be you. Okay. Be authentic, be the authentic Jared. And it's okay to not be exactly like some of those other people. You don't have to emulate other people to, to be really good at something. So uh, bring your whole self, be authentic, learn from the others, like do your research, you know, figure out what's good. What's, what's your process, steal processes that work and pivot them to your, to your best, to, to, to your, you know, to your way, your style, but be you. And um, that's okay. And so from my perspective, it was, you don't have to worry about, you know, faking anything, be yourself. And so um, I thought that was great. And so I, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't apologize for being me or being my authentic self. Yeah, I think that's great. That's really powerful. And a theme I keep hearing as I'm interviewing folks is around the importance of authenticity. And the feedback point's great as well. Sometimes it's really hard not to take it personally. I certainly struggle with that too, but you'll get a lot more value out of it if you can step back and look at it objectively. It's also important to remember if you're the one giving feedback, that the other person might be really sensitive to it, much more sensitive than they're letting on. So you need to consider that as you're giving that feedback and how to give it more appropriately. Yep. So second question, throughout your journey so far, all the struggles, everything you've achieved, is there one communication skill that you wish you had in more abundance that would have made it easier for you? 
Yeah, ESP. Um, I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> available. Um, that's a superpower, I'd say. Yeah. Um, if you meet anyone who has it, let me know. Yeah, my wife does. Well, I mine too. <laughs> I, yeah, mine too. I'd say that um, the communication skill, I, you know, a lot of what I do now is influence. And so it's, you know, get into a room and say, hey, look, you know, how are things going? You know, should we go this way or that way? Influence is kind of an easy one to, to talk towards because that's specifically what I'm doing. I'd actually say um, giving feedback, especially the kind that's not fun, is always hard. And so, uh, being better at it, being gentler about it, maybe being effective at it, I would say is something that I'm trying really hard and have struggled with my whole life just because I feel like I'm a nice person. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be considered mean or, you know, unfair or whatever. Um, actually, I, you know, I've, I've read a couple of times, um, um, a book by Ken Scott, uh, called, the uh, um, radical candor. Uh, I highly recommend, anyone out there who is a leader of people or, or manager or communication or you, know, you have to deal with people regularly is you read radical candor and she makes it very clear that in the moment person to person feedback is vital to the growth of other others you know it's uh, it, it's kind to give feedback because you don't actually want she she phrases it as it's actually kind to give feedback constructive feedback in the moment than to let people continue to languish and feel like they're going down a path that is actually good. And it's very right. And so that helps me provide feedback directly to uh, the people I'm working with, my stakeholders, my peers, my team, in the knowing that they are actually going to get better. It doesn't make it easier for me, right? <laughs> I've had to fire people. That's not fun. I've right. had to let them go. It's kind of something that comes with the territory. It's never a fun thing to do. But the reality is, is that sometimes someone is always good at something and maybe where you are at the moment is not the best fit for you. And that's kind of the way I look at it. And that's part of how radical candor describes it. And I, you know, radical candor is all about um, praise in public, correct in private. Right. And so if a team member has a presentation that doesn't go very well. I'll pull them aside immediately after the meeting. I'll say, hey, you have a couple of minutes. We'll walk into a room. I'll give them some feedback on three points I thought could have gone better. And then we go on. And my team has come to notice that I've had, you'd be surprised how many people are like, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. You don't ever want to do that in public, right? Mm -hmm. But if they do a great presentation, especially after you've given them some feedback, praise the heck out of them in public. For sure. Sing their praises, right? So for me specifically, uh, being effective at giving feedback in the moment that is uh, clear and actionable is something I would like to continue to get better at. Yeah, me too. I've never been tremendously good at it either. It's always a bit uncomfortable um, and hard to find that right balance. So last question for you, who is the best communicator that you know and why? Oh, best communicator that I know. So personally, I assume, um, as opposed to, you know, just someone I think is really good at it. I think you'd uh, go either way. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd actually say um, the person that hired me at Capital One, his name is Michael Jones, and I've shouted him, given him a shout out twice. I've learned so much from Michael. Michael, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've sat down with him and said, you know, um, you know, I'll say, hey, can you give me some feedback on one of my team members? And it'll be 12 to 15 really well thought out bullet points, just rapid fire. Okay. And it is 
it's, it's a superpower of his to really understand competencies and behaviors that people exert. I need to get better at that. That's a muscle that I need to get better at. Along those lines, he is really good, I think, at influencing his leadership in ways that are positive and get buy-in from his leadership. So if his leadership was going a direction that he was really, really concerned about, he had a way of speaking up in appropriate times and places and discussions and slowly nudging the leadership in to come around to the way of his thinking. Um, and I've seen him do it countless times. And it, by the end of it, I think everyone in the room was bought into the, the way that he was recommending. Um, it didn't happen all the time. Um, trust me. Um, we wish it had, but um, he, uh, he was really a master. He is, not was. He, he is a master at that. And I regularly call him and say, dude, I'm having trouble with this thing. Like, what's going on? He's in a whole different business segment now than me. But I still talk to him probably every other week. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, uh, he's definitely one of the best communicators I've ever met. Yeah, and we should also be so blessed to have kind of powerful leaders that we can learn from like that. And also speaks to the power of continuing ongoing relationships, even after folks transition on. Um, I think there's a ton of value in that. It's definitely something that I try to do as well. So good stuff, good stuff. So I guess official last question for you, where can folks find you? Where can they learn more about the stuff that you're doing, the meetup groups, um, the startups, everything? Sure, absolutely. So devcommunity.org. It's a brand new meetup. It's kind of an umbrella meetup site that we're, you know, we have and it pulls all of our it pulls all of our upcoming meetups uh, directly from the meetup API. So uh, that's a good place. Um, I'm Jared Sheehan. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, all the all the social medias. And uh, I guess that's about it. You know, DevFest DC is a big conference in DC every year that we host. If you're in the area and you know, we ever get out of this pandemic, uh, please stop by and say hello. Android Summit as well is another conference that I've been a uh, part of as well. And both of those in the DC area. So. Very cool. And if you're using the Capital One credit banking app, you can thank Jared as well. <laughs> yes, yes. And if something bad happens, uh, I apologize. You had nothing to do with it, right? That's right. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's all someone else's fault. Awesome. Well, great stuff, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, just thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.